What's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. In our culture today, there has been a significant shift in the last, you know, 30 to 40 years of how people view authority and also how people respond to authority. Uh, you know, this is very apparent in how many students and uh, parents used to view the authority of teachers uh, versus how they view the authority of teachers today. Uh, this little cartoon on uh, the screen here captures this change uh, very well. Um, there's the, the parents and teacher conference. And, you know, in the past, it would be, you know, the, the child's not getting the good grades. And, you know, the parents would support the authority of the teacher and look to the child and say, hey, what's going on here? We need to, to get the grades right. And then we see a lot of change now. So often it's, you know, parents undermining now the authority of the teacher. And it's all your fault that my child's not getting the good grades. And there's kind of this, this shift in what's going on. I would say an even greater example of this shift in our culture is seeing how people view the authority authority of police. You know, I mean, it was unheard of when I was a kid to see what some of the stuff we see on social media today and some of the things that people are doing and saying towards police officers. I mean, you know, unless you were, you know, some drug dealer or some gangbanger or something, you know, when I was a kid, you wouldn't think of, you know, the kind of disrespect, the kind of things that are being said, the kind of assaults that are happening on police and their authority. But yet you go online today and social media and you have so many videos and it's not just of, you know, people that you would expect that might have that kind of attitude towards police, the lawbreakers, but you got law-abiding citizens. I remember just recently seeing a 65-year-old woman, you know, not willing to sign something and, you know, just totally like, I'm not going to do what you tell me. And it was just like a simple thing, but it's like this lack of a willingness to, you know, accept the authority of the police and submit to that authority. We just see within the culture today, there's been quite a change in how we view authority, how we submit to authority. And the reason I bring that up is because that, that change in our culture has also drastically impacted the view of the authority that people have towards God and their willingness to submit to his authority. I'm finding that more and more people are really struggling with recognizing the authority of God over their life, and even more difficult for many is to submit themselves under the authority of God. Now, there are great consequences that come when you're not willing to recognize and submit to the authority that is placed over you. And, you know, the great consequence that we see even with some police is, you know, people get shot because of it. But, you know, the, the greatest consequence of all is the consequence that comes when someone's not willing to recognize and submit to the authority of God in their life. Because when someone's not willing to do that, ultimately they're not going to accept Jesus. They're not going to accept the authority that he is God. They're not going to submit to him. They're not going to ask for his forgiveness. They're not going to give their life to him. And so the great consequence that comes to someone who's not willing to do that is hell. 
And so when we look at, you know, what's the, the consequences that can come to not recognizing authority or submission to authority? Well, when it comes to God, the greatest consequence of all is linked with it. Now, last week I mentioned there, there's an important shift in, in John's gospel here in, in chapter 7. It's this shift of now things are starting to get uh, much worse in the sense of the antagonism and the attacks against Jesus. We see that the religious leaders are kind of ramping things up. You know, their desire to kill Jesus, their desire to destroy him, their desire to keep anyone from believing that he is Messiah, that he is God. It is increasing, and we see a significant shift here in chapter 7 that's going to continue all the way until they finally put him on a cross. And really at the heart of the religious leader's desire to destroy and kill Jesus is this fact that they're not willing to recognize the authority of Jesus and they're not willing to submit themselves to that authority. They will not recognize the authority that Jesus is God, that he is the Messiah, and that he deserves their submission their submission to the authority that he possesses. And this is really kind of at the heart of their rejection of him because they don't believe that he has authority. They don't believe in who he is and they're rejecting that authority and they're trying to destroy him because others are starting to submit themselves under the authority of Jesus. And so as we continue our study through John chapter 7 this morning, we're going to see Jesus challenge the religious leaders. And when he brings this challenge, he's really going to be challenging their unwillingness to recognize his authority and also their unwillingness to submit to his authority. And he's going to share five main things that will help you and I recognize the authority of God in our life. And as we look at these five things, hopefully you come to a recognition that, yes, God is the authority, but it shouldn't stop there. Hopefully that will lead you to making a choice that you would say, I'm going to submit myself under the authority of Jesus. Now, what Jesus shares here in these verses is very applicable to us. You know, it's my desire that you would examine your heart, examine your own relationship with God to look at, you know, where am I in my recognition of the authority of God and also in my submission to that authority in my own life? And we're going to see specific areas where, you know, we can change and we can grow. Because there's sometimes a reality that maybe I'm more submissive to the authority of God in certain areas of my life than other areas of my life. And so as we look at the different things that Jesus shares, my hope for you is that you really examine your life and you recognize that there are areas where you need to change with regard to your understanding of Jesus' authority and more importantly, your submission to that. Because you know, even those of us who have accepted Jesus and we start our Christian life, perhaps fully recognizing his authority, fully submitting to his authority. You know, if you're anything like me, you can look at your Christian life and you can see that over time, you have taken back some of that authority. Over time, you get to a place where maybe this area of your life or or that area of your life, you decide, you know what? I'm no longer going to submit to Jesus' authority here. I'm going to take that back. And I'm going to now be the authority over this area of my life and over this area of my life. And I've seen as a pastor, this is a common thing among believers where after we serve the Lord for a while, you know, we start kind of taking back authority that doesn't belong to us. We start taking back and submitting to our own authority instead of to the authority of Jesus. And so as you go through these verses with me, I hope that as you see some of this, if you recognize an area of your own life where you're saying, you know what, yeah, I've taken back authority that I should never have taken back in my life, I would encourage you, don't leave here this morning without 
asking the Lord, hey, Lord, I want to give this authority back to you. I want to bring myself back under submission to your authority in every area of my life. Now, the setting of John chapter 7, if you remember, it takes place at the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles was a feast that lasted for eight days. It was a glorious feast, a, a time that was really fun and great. They'd get out, they'd make these little tents, and it was kind of this time of camping with the family, remembering what it was like in the wilderness when they were living in tents. And so this was one of the most joyous feasts that they were, that had. And it lasted eight days. And at the beginning of John chapter 7 last week, we noted what happened right before the feast. Uh, and we also noted what happened right at the beginning of the feast. And we saw that there were people who had different views about Jesus. His brothers didn't believe in him. Some people said he was good. Some people said, no, he deceives the people. But the main thing that we noted was that the religious leaders tried to silence everybody. We don't want anyone speaking of Jesus, whether it's good or bad. We don't want anyone recognizing him, talking about him. We just kind of want to silence people because their desire is to destroy Jesus and his ministry. Well, we're going to pick up this morning in the middle of the feast, and Jesus is now going to come on the scene, and he's going to be teaching in the temple, and his teachings are going to be directed to the religious leaders specifically. A challenge to them for their unwillingness to recognize his authority and their unwillingness to submit to that authority. We're going to pick up where we left off, starting in verse 14 of chapter 7, says this. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the uh, temple and taught, and the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority." So now we're told it's the middle of the feast, so a couple days have gone by. Jesus is there, and he goes into the temple. Now, at this point in time, the temple would have been packed because at feast time, there was hundreds of thousands of people that would come there to Jerusalem, to the temple. And so as he comes in, he would have this huge audience to speak to, and he starts to teach. And I want you to notice how the religious leaders respond. And as I remember, I mentioned several times when John says the Jews, he's not just speaking about the Jewish people in general, he's actually referencing the religious leaders. And so they say, how does this man know letters having never studied? And this is their thought. How does Jesus know the scripture so well, having never studied in one of our schools? That's their kind of, they're baffled because, you know, he's speaking here. He's well knowledge in these scriptures. And yet they're singing, he didn't study under any of our rabbis. He didn't go to any of our schools. And so they're kind of baffled by Jesus's knowledge of the scripture. But not only are they baffled by it, we see throughout the gospels that they don't like the reality that Jesus teaches with authority. And they don't believe that he should teach with authority. Why? Because in their minds, he doesn't have the proper credentials. Only those who go through their schools, only those who go under their rabbis should have the, the privilege of teaching the Bible with authority. And Jesus, they, they, they think, well, we, we, we're impressed by your knowledge, but we're surely not impressed by your credentials. You do not have the proper credentials to teach the Bible with authority. Authority. We don't know of any rabbi that we would recognize that you've studied under. We don't know of any school that we would recognize that you were taught by. 
And so they asked this question, how does this man know letters having never studied? And so Jesus responds to this thought of, you know, you don't have the credentials, Jesus, to be able to, to speak of these things. And he says this, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. Now look at this. This is something very interesting. Notice that the religious leaders are challenging Jesus's credentials. And in his response to that challenge, he doesn't bring up credentials at all. He says, I want you to focus on my doctrine. He doesn't talk about the credentials. He talks about his doctrine. Now, this is interesting to me because Jesus had the best possible credentials to teach the Bible. I mean, these religious leaders might say, hey, I got a Ph.D. from this Hebrew university. And Jesus says, well, I got G.O.D. I actually wrote the scriptures. I mean, I have all of the authority to speak on behalf of these things. You know, your credentials are nothing in compared to mine. I mean, he could have spent time trying to say, hey, look at my credentials. This proves that I have the, the ability to have authority over the word. But he doesn't do that. Instead, he says, you know what? What I really want you to look at is my doctrine. I want you to examine what I teach, not the credentials that you don't think I have. He tells him, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. What Jesus is wanting them to recognize is my doctrine, the things that I'm teaching, this comes from God the Father. My doctrine is from him who sent me, from God. That is what I proclaim. That is what I teach. And he goes on to say, if anyone wills to do God's will, he shall know concerning the doctrine whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. What Jesus is saying is, hey, if you guys would judge me based on the doctrine that I proclaim versus the credentials that you don't like that I don't have of, according to what you determine is good or bad, you would see that what I'm teaching is from God. You would recognize when you take what I'm saying and you compare it to the scriptures that what I'm saying comes from God. It is something that coincides with the truth of the Bible. You see, Jesus understood something very important. Your credentials don't determine whether or not you teach the truth. I mean, the Pharisees are a great example of this. They get all the credentials that people would want, and what they were teaching wasn't the truth. And so we have this issue here of just because you go to the right schools, just because you have you know, certain letters before your name, just because you, know, you have these credentials, doesn't mean that you will necessarily teach the truth. Well, so how do you determine whether someone's teaching the truth? Examine what they teach. Look at the doctrine. Look at what they proclaim and compare it to Scripture. That's the best way. It's not like, well, this guy's got a Ph.D. Surely what he says is true. Well, this guy went to this seminary. Surely what he says is true. Well, no. What is it that they're actually saying? Compare that to Scripture, and then you'll know whether or not it's true. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't judge me based on credentials. Judge me based on what I'm actually teaching. But this is the problem of the Pharisees. Well, one of many in the religious leaders. They don't want to sincerely listen to Jesus. They didn't come with open hearts, open minds, open ears to receive what he said. They already had this preconceived idea that anything that Jesus says has to be wrong because he doesn't have our credentials. He doesn't have this, that, or the next things. So that they weren't coming open to say, you know what, let's take what he has to say, let's compare it to the scriptures, and let's discover if what he says is truly of God or not. So the first thing to help you recognize Jesus's authority 
is compare what Jesus taught to the rest of the Bible. You know, when you compare what Jesus taught to the rest of the Bible, you're going to discover first that He's God. You're going to discover because He's God that He has complete authority to be ruling and reigning in your life. And hopefully as you study that and come to that recognition, you make the choice to say, I am going to submit myself to that authority. You know, it's hard to give someone authority in your life that you don't know and trust. I mean, the reality is we all have people who are authorities in our lives. You know, usually the most intimate ones is our authority that we have in our relationship with our parents. But you know what? It's hard to have a submissive relationship to authority when you don't trust them. When you don't trust how they'll treat you. I'm sure many of you have bosses where you're kind of forced to be under their authority for a paycheck, but you don't trust them, you don't like them, they abuse you. And so it's very difficult to be in that place. And so with God, for some people, that's a struggle. Why? Because they don't know Him. And it's hard to put yourself in that submissive role to the authority of God because they don't really know Him well. But you know what? There's a way to fix that. Study the Bible. You want to know Jesus more so that you can be you know, better willing to submit yourself to his authority? Hey, the Bible's all about him. Shows us who he is, shows us what he's done, shows us his plan for our lives, shows his character. You know what? Study the word of God and you will start to come to a greater depth of understanding of Jesus, which will help you submit to him because you're going to discover that there's nothing about Jesus that should keep you from willingly submitting your life to him. Well, the second thing that Jesus is going to reveal to help us understand uh, his authority is seen in verses 18 through 20. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Once again, we see Jesus contrasting himself with these religious leaders. And he says, he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. I mean, this is a perfect description of the religious leaders because that was them. They sought themselves. You know, they didn't, you know, teach from the Lord. They didn't teach from God. Their words went from Him. And they ultimately did it for their own glory. The motivation was for their own glory, for people to see them, you know, to think they're so wonderful and spiritual. You know, so they taught from themselves, not from God. They sought the glory for themselves and not God. But Jesus was the exact opposite. But He who seeks the glory of the one who sent Him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. You see, Jesus didn't teach just from himself. He taught from God. He didn't seek his own glory. He sought the glory of the Father. And notice Jesus says two things about himself. He says that he is true and that no unrighteousness is in him. And once again, this is kind of a dig at the religious leaders because it's the exact opposite of them. <laughs> they have plenty of unrighteousness and what they speak is not true. And Jesus gives an example to help them see that that is the reality. He says, did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Hey, I have no unrighteousness in me, but you guys sure do. Moses gave you the law, that law that you claim that, oh yeah, we, we have it. He said, but none of you keep it. What? Yeah, um, you guys are seeking to kill me. And the law says you shall not murder. And you're seeking to kill me right now. You guys don't keep the law. Here's one example of it. And look at their response. You have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? 
Yeah, they're basically saying, you're crazy. You must be demon-possessed to, to make that kind of statement about us. But we know that's exactly what they've been planning for months. They do want to kill Jesus. And when he confronts them with their sin, confronts them with the reality that they are breakers of the law, they lie. They deny it. Who do you think you are to say that? You crazy demon-possessed man. Who's trying to kill you? I don't know what you're talking about. You must be paranoid. Jesus is revealing another reason why the religious leaders won't accept his authority. It's because they won't admit their sin, which shows that they don't deserve to be the authority of their lives. The second thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is admit your sin and the fact that you don't deserve to be the authority only Jesus does. When you admit what you are, which the Bible clearly says, a sinner, and you admit who Jesus is, the sinless God who sacrificed himself on the cross for your sins and mine, you're going to come to a real quick recognition. I don't deserve to be the authority of my life. Only Jesus does. And it's not just a recognition of who deserves it more. It's to take it a step further of, you know what? I am better off having Jesus, the sinless Savior, as the authority of my life than for me, the sinful person who does a lot of foolish things to have authority over my life. I mean, when you look at yourself and the choices that you've made up to this point in your life and the things that you've done, I'm sure, and when you then compare that to Jesus to say, well, who's better suited to have authority over my life? Who's the one that's going to lead me in a better path? Who's the one that I should really submit myself under? Hopefully you'll conclude Jesus, the sinless God, is a far better choice than yourself in this way. And so I think, you know, if you're struggling with taking authority back from Jesus in your life, if that's a, there's an area or maybe several areas where you're like, you know what, I've taken this back. I'm, I'm submitting myself now under my own authority. I just want to encourage you, just do a comparison this week. Just look at your own life and compare it to Jesus. And hopefully in that comparison, you're going to wake up to the reality that, man, I'm being really foolish submitting to my own authority instead of submitting to the authority of the one who is far better suited to run my life. The third thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is seen in verses 21 through 24. Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work and you all marveled. Moses therefore gave you circumcision, not that it was from Moses, but from the fathers, and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now remember, Jesus said, why do you seek to kill me? And instead of admitting the truth that they do seek to kill him, they say, oh, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Okay, you guys don't want to admit it. I'm going to bring up the instance where you guys decided, you know what, it's time to kill this guy. And if you remember, that was back in John chapter 5 when Jesus does a particular miracle. And it's not the miracle that upset them. It's the day in which he did the miracle that upset them. Jesus says, I did one work and you all marvel. And he's taking them back to this work in John chapter 5 where he healed the man who had an infirmity 38 years. But the problem was he did it on the Sabbath. 
And they were up in arms. How dare you heal this man on the Sabbath? You can't do any work on the Sabbath. You are a lawbreaker. And they wanted to kill him. That was their response to Jesus healing this guy who for 38 years has this infirmity. Now he's made whole. Now he's completely healed. And they don't care about the man and what has happened to him in a beneficial way. All they care is the fact that Jesus broke the Sabbath in order to do it. Who? What are you talking about? We're not trying to kill you. Actually, it started when I did this on the Sabbath. And now Jesus is going to share something with them to help them see. And you know what? It's so foolish that you guys have such a hatred over me healing someone on the Sabbath. And Jesus gives them a great example to help them see this. Notice what he says. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision and you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. So in the law of Moses, first you have the Sabbath law where no one could do any work on the Sabbath, but you also had the law of circumcision, which was on the eighth day, every baby boy had to be circumcised, particularly on the eighth day. It couldn't be the seventh, the ninth. They had to do it on the eighth day. Now, here's the dilemma that sometimes happened. Well, as you can imagine, some boys where they're going to be born, and then on the eighth day where they need to be circumcised, guess what? Some of them, that day is going to land on the Sabbath. Well, now what do we do? If we do the act of circumcision, well, that's work. And so we have to break the Sabbath to do it. But if we choose not to break the Sabbath and not circumcise the child on that day, well, now we're breaking the law of circumcision. And so, you know, the religious leaders far before this time, you know, where Jesus is on the scene, they they come to this dilemma. Well, what are we going to do? Well, what they concluded was, you know what? Circumcision supersedes the law of the Sabbath. More important. And it was actually given before. Even Jesus speaks about it. It's not really given by Moses. It was given by the fathers because it was given to Abraham even before the law. And so their conclusion was, we have to keep the law of circumcision even if that causes us to break the law of the Sabbath, that it's more important to do that. Jesus knows that they believe this. Jesus knows that they practice this. And so Jesus throws this example out there. You guys are willing to break the Sabbath in order to keep the law of circumcision. But I want you to think about something. What is circumcision doing to a child? It's cutting him. It's removing something from him. It's putting him in pain. And so Jesus is saying, you're willing to do that to a child, and you think it's okay on the Sabbath. But you're upset with me. Why? Because notice what he tells us. I heal someone on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? You know, the logic of Jesus' argument here is quite compelling. That these guys, you know, the foolishness that you would say it's okay to cut and remove and give pain to a baby on the Sabbath, but for me to make someone whole, To me, to to take away pain and infirmity for 38 years and make this person whole, that that's wrong? That I shouldn't be able to do that on the Sabbath? How foolish. Well, after presenting the religious leaders with this argument, notice what Jesus says in verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. 
You see, he's bringing up the reality that the religious leaders, they were doing the exact opposite with Jesus. They were judging only on appearance. They were not judging with righteous judgment. If they were judging with righteous judgment, they wouldn't have had an issue at all. They would have stood back and said, how in the world did you heal this guy for, after he's been infirm for 38 years? Where is the power that you have and the love that you have to do it? They would have been focusing on that aspect of what Jesus did as opposed to, how dare you do this on the Sabbath? What's wrong with you? Not following our traditions. Judging Jesus according to appearance. You know, I think they looked at Jesus, they saw this Jewish carpenter turned rabbi. He hadn't been born to, you know, the family that they probably would have looked at as, oh yes, there's a respectable family. Many thought, you know, we don't even know who his dad is. He didn't grow up in the religious city of Jerusalem, didn't have the right kind of pedigree and credentials, didn't go to the right school. To them, he did not appear to be what they thought the Messiah would be. And so when they judged Jesus, they judged him based on appearance, but not based on righteous judgment. If they would have judged them based on a true criteria, they would have come to the recognition of who he actually was. You see, they didn't judge based off of what Jesus said. They didn't judge him based off of what he did, all his miracles. They didn't judge him, which they should have, of the 315 Old Testament prophecies that he fulfilled which determined that he was the Messiah. There's 315 Old Testament prophecies that say the Messiah must be born here, must do this, and all these different things. Jesus fulfilled all of them. They should have judged him based on those things. And if they did, they would have come to the conclusion, he's the Messiah, he is God. But no, they didn't judge him based on that criteria. They judged him based on appearance. So Jesus is revealing another reason why the religious leaders won't accept his authority It's because they judged Jesus based on what they wanted him to look like instead of rightly judging him based on the evidence of what he said, of what he did, and what he fulfilled. The third thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is don't judge Jesus based on what you want him to look like. Instead, judge him based on the evidence of what he said, did, and fulfilled. You know, I talk with a lot of people many of whom reject Jesus. And for many of them, this is the issue. They reject Jesus because he doesn't look like what they want in God. You know, that, that's the, it's just the appearance. You know, so he, he's not fitting what they look or what they want him to look like. And so that's what they base their rejection on. When we saw that with the crowd, remember, Jesus wasn't the king that they were looking for, so they reject him. The religious leaders, well, Jesus doesn't look like the Messiah that they want, so they reject him. But today we have so many people saying, you know what, Jesus doesn't look like the God that I want to serve, and so therefore I will reject him. For some, Jesus has too many rules. For others, Jesus doesn't accept enough lifestyle choices for me, so, so I'm going to reject him. For others, he, he doesn't do everything they ask. And the list can go on and on of, of why people say, you know what, you're not what I'm looking for. You don't look like what I want in God, and so therefore... I'm not going to accept that you are the authority that I need to submit under. They're judging Jesus based on appearance, not according to righteous judgment. You know, if you will judge Jesus based on the evidence, you will judge Jesus based on what he said and the evidence that goes with it. You will judge Jesus based on the miracles that he did and the evidence for that, especially the miracle of him rising from the dead. If you will judge Jesus based on the evidence of the prophecies, as I mentioned, 315 that he fulfilled, if you'll judge Jesus based on those criteria, you're going to come to the conclusion that Jesus is God. 
Because the evidence is so overwhelming and hopefully you recognize he has complete authority over me and I need to submit my life to him. The fourth thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is seen in verses 25 through 29. Now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers now indeed know indeed that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from, but when the Christ comes, no one knows where he is from. Then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I'm from? I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. So there are people who are there in Jerusalem, and they know something. Obviously, news has spread. The religious leaders want Jesus dead. They want to kill Jesus. And they're kind of very taken back by what they're seeing. And the thing that they see is so amazing is look what they say. But look, he speaks boldly, and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers know indeed that this is truly the Christ? I mean, here are the guys. They're all here in Jerusalem that want him dead. He's standing in front of this huge crowd. He's not hiding somewhere. I mean, he's the most wanted person in Jerusalem, and he's not hiding away. He's boldly speaking And that's not what, you know, ultimately shocks them. It's the fact that why don't the religious leader do anything? They want him dead. Why are they allowing him to continue to do this? Why don't they do something about it? Maybe because they know that he actually is the Messiah. Maybe they're not doing anything because he is who he claims to be. Now you would think, wow, these people are real close to accepting the truth about Jesus. But notice they go on to say something that reveals an ignorance in their own thinking that keeps them from actually accepting the reality of who Jesus is. Verse 27, they say, However, we know where this man is from, but when the Messiah comes, no one will know where he's from. You know, at this time, there was a false belief by many people that when the Messiah would come, he would just appear kind of out of nowhere all of a sudden. And they kind of took this from passages that refer to Jesus' second coming when it is going to be more of all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he returns. And so they kind of mixed up, you know, the second and first coming, but they kind of twisted some things as well. So they came to this conclusion that, hey, you know, when Messiah is here, no one's going to know where he's from. You know, he's just going to kind of suddenly appear and then, oh, there he is. And so they say, well, Obviously, Jesus can't be the Messiah then because we know where he's from. I mean, we, we, he grew up in Nazareth. We know that. You know, so surely he can't be the Messiah because of their ignorant view of how they would know whether or not the Messiah actually came. And so they see this ignorance of, well, we're rejecting Jesus' authority because of some ignorant view that they have of him. But notice how Jesus responds to their ignorance. He says, you both know me. And you know where I'm from? And I have not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know, but I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. Now, most commentators believe that when Jesus says, you both know me and know where I'm from, he's speaking sarcastically. Because they're thinking, oh, we know everything about Jesus. I mean, come on. He was raised in Nazareth. He's that carpenter's son. He's like, you you think you know where I'm from? (laughs) I'm not from Nazareth. I'm not from Bethlehem. You know, my origin is something that you're completely clueless of. I'm from heaven. I came down from heaven. God sent me here. That's where I'm from. And so you guys think you know where I'm from, which once again shows your ignorance. The ignorance that says they're kind of doubly ignorant. 
We're ignorant in believing, hey, this can't be the Messiah because we know where he's from. And the true Messiah, we won't know where he's from. Well, that's not a true statement. But the other thing is, they actually don't know where Jesus is from. You know, they think they do, but they're ignorant in that as well. And so they're doubly ignorant. And unfortunately, with both of those ignorant statements, they choose to reject who Jesus is. They choose to reject his authority. And they choose to reject submitting to that authority. And so Jesus is revealing another reason why people won't accept his authority. They won't accept Jesus' authority because they're judging Jesus based on ignorance. So the fourth thing that helps you recognize Jesus' authority is don't judge Jesus based on ignorance. You know, as I speak with people who, you know, just reject Jesus, I mean, they're, they're fine with speaking about it. Something that I find, if, if those actually will engage me and talk about their views, for a huge amount of those people, I find so much of the reason that they're rejecting Jesus is based on ignorance. It's based on things about Jesus that are completely untrue. And what's even more frustrating for me as I share with them and talk with them is it's not like they did some investigation. For most of them, it's not like they investigated Jesus, they investigated the claims of Jesus, and then they came to their own conclusion about it. They just heard someone say something and then just regurgitated. They just say, oh, well, this is this about Jesus, and that's that about Jesus. Oh, really? You know, did you study that? You know, do you know that? How did you come to that conclusion? Well, I think someone said that to me once. Okay, so you're basing everything on Jesus based off that one thing that's actually an ignorant statement and not true, and now your whole eternal destiny is based off of it. And it's just crazy to think of, you know, the fact that so many people reject Jesus because they judge him based off of ignorant statements. But you know what? This can be true with Christians as well. I know many Christians who are not willing to give Jesus complete authority over their life. And I've been in that situation myself. I'll call myself out in this, that there have been times in my Christian life where I wasn't willing to give Jesus full authority, wasn't submitting to him in certain areas of my life. Why? Because I bought into ignorant beliefs about Jesus, things that were not true. For example, some ignorantly believe that Jesus, if you give him complete authority, he's going to ruin your life. You can't do that. I mean, Jesus is going to force you to do something horrible if you give him full control. If you give him your life, he's going to make your life miserable. He's going to send you someplace that you're desperately not wanting to go. I mean, there's these beliefs that are out there that are untrue that if I do this, man, life's going to be horrible. Some ignorantly believe that Jesus isn't trustworthy. He's not loving. He's some tyrant that's just going to abuse the authority that you give to him. These are untrue, ignorant views, but yet you can understand if someone held that, it would be difficult for them to actually say, I am going to give Jesus authority. I am going to submit to that. And so we have to be aware of the truth of Jesus so we don't get caught up in this ignorance that keeps us from submitting to him in the way that we should. And the best way, as I shared earlier, to keep from being ignorant, study the Bible. <laughs> you want to know Jesus more? I say study the Bible. You don't want to be ignorant of him? Study the Bible. I mean, that's something that all of us should be doing on a regular basis. It's such an important thing to help us know him better, be less ignorant of him, and then it'll enable us to submit to his authority much more in our life. The fifth and final thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is in verse 30 and 31. Therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than this than these which this man has done. So after Jesus makes this bold claim, 
And after the people are like, wow, why aren't they doing anything about Jesus? Maybe it's because they believe he's the Christ. Once the religious leaders hear that people are claiming that, like, well, we better do something. We don't want anyone thinking that we think he's the Christ, that he's the Messiah, because we surely don't. And so notice now the religious leaders try something. They try to take hold of him. They try to seize him, but they can't. And notice the reason why they can't. But no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. If you remember at the beginning of this chapter, Jesus' brothers who didn't believe in him were like, yeah, well, you should go down to the feast, show yourself to everybody so they all can believe you're the Messiah if that's truly who you are. And Jesus says, no, it's not my time. My hour hasn't come. I'm not going to try to work in my own will and my own timing. I only work in the will and timing of God. And this is something that's such an important principle because here we have man trying to supersede the will and timing of God because it wasn't the will of God or the timing of God for Jesus to be arrested at this point in time, but these religious leaders are trying to do it. Well, we're going to make it happen. And notice they can't. God doesn't allow it. Why? Because it was not the hour for Jesus to have that happen. They could not overcome God's plan, God's timing, God's will, even though they tried. So we've seen many reasons for why people won't accept Jesus, won't accept his authority. But now we see a group that actually does. A group that believes in him. And I want you to know the reason that they give for why they've come to this conclusion that, you know what? I believe he's the Messiah. I believe he is who he claims to be. Notice what we're told. And many of the people believed in him and said, when the Christ comes, will he do more signs than these which this man has done? These people have been waiting for the Messiah for years. And they finally come to the conclusion, if this Jesus wasn't the Messiah and the Messiah was going to come later, would that Messiah do more than Jesus has done? Well, no way. I mean, look at all the people that Jesus has healed. Look at all the miracles that Jesus has done. Surely we can't be expecting a Messiah in the future to do more than Jesus has done in the present. I mean, look at all he's done. And so they just take the obvious reality of Jesus's miracles that have been so abundant And they conclude, that is proof enough for me that he is who he claims to be. That's proof enough for me that he's the Messiah. And so I am now going to respond to that by putting my trust in him, by believing in him, because his works, his miracles have proved that's who he is. You know, when we started the book of John, we recognized that's kind of the purpose. The main purpose of this letter is for people like this to come to this conclusion. John 20, 30 and 31 says, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John knew the signs, the miracles of Jesus were overwhelming proof and evidence that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is the Messiah, and that when people would see that evidence... They would hopefully come to the recognition of who Jesus is, put their faith in him, and have salvation, have everlasting life in heaven because of it. That was John's hope. That's why he wrote this. He shares these specific things so the people could see that Jesus is God. Because one of the greatest proofs of he being God is what he did, the miracles that he performed. So the fifth thing to help you recognize Jesus' authority is accept the proof of Jesus' miracles. When you look at all the miracles Jesus did, especially the greatest miracle of all, rising from the dead, that should be plenty of proof that Jesus is God and he has complete authority over your life. 
You know, if you're struggling with giving Jesus authority, struggling with recognizing His authority, struggling with submitting to that authority, you know, these five things I, I hope encourage you and challenge you, but there's one other thing that I think is something that, especially if you're a believer, that you should regularly remind yourself of. An event that is one of the best things to bring to your remembrance to help you recognize the one who deserves authority is Jesus. The one who I should submit my authority under is Jesus. And that event is the cross. That we need to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. Remember His love that was demonstrated to us on the cross. Remember that He took your sin. He took my sin on the cross. That should be something that we look back to and recognize, hey, if there's anything that would convince me Jesus deserves authority in my life, that should be it. You know, I can look at miracles, I can look at other things, but this is the thing that He did specifically for me that I should come and say, He deserves the submission of my life to His authority completely. Not partly, not this area and that area, but I'm going to hold on to these. No, what He did proves that I should give Him complete submission to His authority. And so I want to finish this morning just taking some time to remember Jesus' death on the cross taking some time to remember what He did for us. And we're going to do that by taking communion together. In 1 Corinthians 11:23 23-26, it says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which He was betrayed took bread, and when He had given thanks, He broke it and said, Take, eat, this is My body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So we're going to partake of the communion elements, the bread representing Jesus' body, which was crucified for us, the juice representing Jesus' blood, which was shed for our sins. And this is an open communion, which means if you have placed your trust in Jesus, you have accepted Him as your Savior, you have asked for His forgiveness, we encourage you to partake of this with us. And so can we have the worship team come on up? And while the worship team's leading us in a song of worship, the communion elements are going to be passed out. I just want to encourage you, hold on to those. We're going to partake of them together. I'll come back up. Uh, we'll pray over these things. But just kind of take some time just to reflect on what Jesus has done. Take some time if you need to just to confess your own sin or maybe confess the reality that you're not submitting your life completely to His authority. And let's just come remember what He's done for us in communion.